yeah. and when and when and when people have awakened with me i've just pointed them in the direction of some books and suggested basic meditation course and stuff and just said look whatever the god is it's awakening consciousness it's awakening in you and just ask it for help and just say what do you want me to do and what do you want me to know and people will come it's like the great thing about this planet is you come with your whole soul family i guess so you've got like a thousand people pretending to be the local milkman or what you know what, what you do you know, and, and people just show up at the right time and help you got to accentuate the positive wow, i feel good a little bit of feel good goes a long way you're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. As always, delicious to be with you all again. Now, I have a, a beautiful, delicious, gorgeous friend with me today. His name is David Norman. Welcome to the show, David. Welcome me. Thank you, Karen. So lovely to be here with you. <laughs> David's a bit excited about this. He's never really done anything like this. I think you did your first podcast just talking about the business the other day. Uh, on, with a f- on Friday, last week, and today's only uh, Wednesday. So, yeah, I'm kind of new to the whole podcast world. <laughs> new to the whole podcast world. I know. I was just saying to my daughter this morning, the dolphin mermaid girl, she should do a podcast too. And she goes, yeah, people tell me that, but she's not, she's not a computer girl. She likes to be out in the ocean. Anyway, David is a businessman. He's been a friend of mine for over 20 years. I met him because he came to me as a client many years ago when I used to call myself healer. You weren't really sick. I don't don't even know why you came to me. I guess, I don't know. I just needed the the light energy or something or connection. (laughs) Spiritual evolution. And I thought I'd put David on the show because after having, you know, I've always been on his case, you know, you're a light worker, you're a light worker or a light weaver, you're, you're here to make a difference. And, 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 and David knows that. And I've been on his case for like 20 years to like be more of a participate in a participant in this sort of light realm industry. But as a businessman, he's doing that. And I thought, you know, it, it's not a conversation I've had on the show before. I think the gurus called it the, um, the lay person, you know, like back in the day, you could either be a mum and dad sort of spiritual worker, or you could like shave up and go into the monasteries and become a, a monk or a nun or a, or a guru. What did they call it? They called it the householder. That's right. The householder. The that's householder. It, yes. Yeah. And I, you know, I speak to people all around the globe that are spiritual teachers and they've got their shingle on the door and they call themselves spiritual teachers. But I haven't really spoken to a spiritual teacher who's a, a businessman and that does his work sort of undercover. So I thought we'd chat about that today. It's funny too, because I had my spiritual awakening when I was 22 and I got I into the g- business when I was 18. And so I've kind of had my whole life dedicated to, you know, you, you, you said before the show started that you've got your top in Mal and Bimby. And I, I was managed to go to the harmonic convergence in 1987 at Mount Warning. And, and, um, but I've always, you know, worn a suit and done the business the, the business way. Um, so, so pearls are special in themselves, but we'll get to that. But, um, well, but it's me... interesting doing both. 
Uh, let me read your bio just quickly because I've made him write me a bio. He doesn't really have a bio as, a, as someone who's speaking about spiritual things. <laughs> I said, well, come up with one. So David Norman was born and raised in London, 1963, and is a fifth in line within a family dedicated to the pearl trade. David lived in Japan for two years from 18 to 20, then immigrated to Australia where he has worked for uh, over 20 years selling pearls farmed around Broome. So Broome, if people that don't know Broome, is a place in Western Australia. Uh, on the other side of Australia to where we are here in Sydney. And it's up north, isn't it? It's right up the north. It's across from Cairns. So it's, it's much nearer to Singapore than Sydney. Not much nearer, but it's very near. It's on, on that way, the northwest of the continent of Australia. So if you were in America, it would sort of be up near Seattle. And we'd be being in New York, we'd be sort of in Miami. It's sort of diagonally up and across. And it's, it's oh, look, at the colours of Broome are turquoise blue of the ocean and the sort of orange burnt orange color of the land isn't it it has these red rocks and blue skies and and, and turquoise seas turquoise seas amazing it's where a lot of the um opals come from as well yes uh, there's a lot in um far north queensland but in the kimberley region there's all the diamonds as well the pink diamonds in the argyle mine so it's quite mineral rich and that red color in the earth called Pindan comes from iron ore um, and, it's, and it's everywhere. But I, I lived there for June and July for 12 years. So I had 24 months of my life there. And it's a huge place for Aboriginal dreaming. There's a big, it, it's like you have extraordinary dreams. Even people who don't normally dream, they go to Broome and they have these most psychedelic dreams. And there's ancient, um, I mean, all rocks are ancient. I suppose, but um, the land around Broome, there's dinosaur footprints that you can see and, it, and it's sort of dinosauric. I went to um, the Grand Canyon uh, in the beginning of February this year and Tucson, Arizona to vortexes and things in um, Sedona and had a few days staying in the Grand Canyon and the rocks of the Grand Canyon are the same color and look as, the, um, as Broome, you know, the rocks and there. And I yeah. thought about Broome while I was there because you, it's sort of a vortex, the whole place. Wow. Yeah. And, and they have tidal systems there that are 15 meters. So there's a big jetty in Broome. It's a, it's a town that 100 years ago or 120 years ago, 1901, was the center of the pearl business. There were 500 captains with 500 pearl luggers. They had boat crews and there were brothels and drinking dens and all these get-rich-quick saloon bars. And it was a real crazy town full of all sorts of Asians. There's a whole cemetery for Japanese, a cemetery for Chinese, for the divers. And it was a very rich place. And Australia in 1901 was the richest country in the world because of minerals and sheep farming and agriculture. And Melbourne was the center. And my, so my grandmother's grandmother and grandfather came to Melbourne in the 1830s. Their dad owned an opium den in Andrea, Egypt, funnily enough. And he, he's to legitimize the money. He sent my, grand, my, my grandmother's grandfather, one to Canada, one to Australia, to Melbourne, to be diamond dealers. And they couldn't make any money as diamond dealers, but pearls were the rage. And so they, they, were, they were good pearl dealers. And there was a huge business in the shell for the mother of pearl buttons and the inlay of Bibles, pistols, cutlery. And if you found a natural pearl, it was amazing. Cartier swapped a building um, 
in New York, which is their shop on the corner of 56th and 5th Avenue for two pearl necklaces and a hundred bucks. And today, of course, the building's worth $50 million and it's an amazing, it's their beautiful shop on 5th Avenue. But back then, um, people thought they were mad. And Marie Antoinette's natural pearl sold for 35 million American dollars in November in um, Christie's Geneva in the auction house. And so natural pearls, you know, you could see why there was sort of fever. And, and Broome was the center of the trade because there's a beach there called 80 Mile Beach, and it's full of oyster shells. And all the modern pearlers, um, the modern business, you don't just go and open an oyster and hope for a pearl. You, you catch your oysters from April, May, and June. Then you seed them with a nucleus. The oyster's irritated and it makes a pearl. And, that's, um, and, and they're farmed in, in locations, kind of secretive locations. And there's these 15-meter tides. So, so the water's flushing in and out of, your, out of broom itself in the pearl farm. And it raises and drops 15 meters. It's a huge tide. So diving for pearl shells isn't for the faint-hearted. But it's, a, it's an extraordinary business in a very pristine um, environment. And the Aboriginal elders there um, do ceremonies and say it's very, I mean, everywhere sacred, probably in Australia. But there's a lot going on in that, in that whole area you know and the pearls are a great um how would you say they're like a metaphor for real life because you you the oysters this prehistoric million year old animal and um and you pop a nucleus in the oysters irritated and it gives you amazing pearls and in a way it's a bit like real life when you're you know the people who irritate you the most your friends and family or whatever they're the ones who come here to teach you the most of patience and tolerance and unconditional love when you really well, want to tell them to F off or something. But you're, you, as a spiritual being, you're trying to be a bit more loving and tolerant, aren't you? Know? Well, you, you've raced ahead of yourself. I was going to get to that. I haven't finished your bio yet. Oh, my <laughs> darling, I'd be quiet. I've, I've uh, always had a bit of verbal diarrhea, so I'll so be quiet. But it's your radio show. I'm going to let you talk. <laughs> We've sort of finished the show now. No, no, there's a lot to say. Um, anyway, let me finish this sentence. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> In Broome, WA, and you're selling the world's finest pearl jewellery houses to jewellery houses all, all over the world, it says here. At 22, you had a spiritual awakening, which you've spoken about and has been on a continuous journey of self-discovery and spiritual study ever since. As a light worker, you say you're a perpetual student and have special affinity with whales, dolphins, crystals, planetary energy healing, and the understanding and development of galactic consciousness, which is what I want to get into. But um, so back to the pearls. Yeah, Broom, look, you've uh, taken the words out of my mouth because we didn't have, you know, I never set questions when I do these shows. I just sort of turn up and let, and let, and let the conversation build. And um, <laughs> Usually I get the bio out in the beginning. <laughs> but I had a, I was just thinking about this this morning. I had a conversation with Annie Kagan years ago for the show. So Annie Kagan is a, is a healer um, and her, her brother died many years ago and she wrote this book called The Afterlife of Billy Fingers because he came to her after his death and spoke about the afterlife and all that he experienced after his death. And, and he was, um, they called him Billy Fingers because he was somebody that lived a life of well, what we would call fast cars, fast women, bit of cr crime, you know, too many drugs, too much alcohol. <laughs> they used to call him Billy Fingers because he could sort of pickpocket things or steal things. Anyway, and he died at 60. 
But he said to her, we were talking about uh, pearls because I said to her, I had a dream years ago that my grandmother, who was very wealthy and died of leukemia when I was very young, she was a miserable cow. I only remember this sort of corpse in a bed, um, sort of half dead, you know, as a young girl. <clears throat> but she came to me in a dream and she flung open the doors and, and we looked out onto Sydney Harbour, actually. She lived on Sydney Harbour and she said to me, the world is your oyster. The world is your oyster. And I was telling this to Annie and she said that Billy from the afterlife said, yes, and the irritation of life creates the pearls. And I remember thinking, wow, I've never thought about it like that before. Because when people say the world is your oyster, we don't, I have never married that, you know, the sand gets inside the natural pearl and irritates the soft flesh in there and because of that irritation that this beautiful pearl is created the pearls of life and you know we say pearls of wisdom and there's so much connotation about pearls being the beauty of life so have you always known that um no only more more recently i think that um because before I would let people irritate me and just think there's something wrong with them. But when I took responsibility for my own emotions, I think I, I could actually say it's my reaction to those, to those people. And, and I think, um, especially within a family system, it seems like I've heard in speeches by Paramahansa Yogananda, where he says, God comes to us um, as relatives to test us, but comes to us as friends to show to show love and um and it, everyone's got some sort of relative like you had your grandmother everyone's got these people in the family like in the lion king there's the scar the naughty brother who wants to be king and ends up killing mufasa the king and everybody's you know or the in hamlet which the lion king's based on hamlet's brother poisons king ham old king hamlet and the whole plays about hamlet deciding or not deciding whether to commit suicide or kill the king and it all gets resolved at the end. But I think this great irritation, not, it doesn't have to be just family, from business, from work, but from life. It's almost like we show up here for a kindergarten or we're in kindergarten or school and life just sends us these constant situations to bring out the best or the worst in us. And if we choose for it to be the best, it's like the irritation, how would you say, like the irritation makes us into pearls in a way, whereas we're just sort of, I don't know, jagged rocks, something otherwise, you know. We're jagged rocks. You know, years ago when you were coming to me uh, as, a, as a client uh, and we would discuss the pearl industry and pearls and mm. I think I was asking you, you know, what is the spiritual meaning behind pearls? I was trying to find meaning in what you were doing in the pearl industry. I had this dream where I was in another realm or somewhere, but I was inside a room and all the walls uh, were pearl essence like I was just inside this pearl room and I remember waking Lovely. up from this dream thinking oh the energy of the pearl is so blissful I, I just it was years ago now but um, I'll never forget that dream what do you think the spiritual meaning behind pearls are Apart I think from... it's I think it's more their energy I think mm -hmm. all the all the um the the rocks and the trees and the plants and the, the water and the crystals and the pearls and the gems. I think they're all, they've all come 
they're, they're on earth full of full of energy and I sell on television. So I've done nearly 12 years on Australian TV and nearly six years on American TV. And when the ladies who were the hostesses of the show, when they put the pearls on, they always sort of go, oh, I feel like a queen. And it has this effect on everybody of bringing out their more, I don't know, it's like, it's like you, you stand stronger and feel more feminine or maybe you could be feeling more masculine if you're a man i don't know more your feminine side but there's something regal and because the pearls have always been associated with with um i don't know with with queens like queen elizabeth the first was covered in them queen elizabeth second never takes them off all the queens and crown there's something very royal about them almost but i think it's the energy the pearls give rather than the symbolism um and i think I'm very lucky working with with them because I'm always surrounded by them my whole my whole life. And if they do have healing properties of any kind, in in the autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, he does say on page two hundred and seventy two, which I remember because it was my boarding school number. You all get a number at school, and mine was two seven two, and um, and the other number was eighteen in my first school. There, I'm remembering that. But on page 272, he said that the, that the pearls have a healing transmitting power and so do all gemstones. And so although people wear them for adornment, they really do have healing properties as well, like, like crystals or something. So um, I, I think that's, that's more than the symbolism in a way. Well, I was thinking about that. And uh, I was thinking about the industry, like your industry as a business, and it's full of yes. men. And, um, and it's become about the money, you know, how much can we get for this pearl and how much, it's all, it's sort of like trade and money, it's become a business. But men don't get the, um, they don't wear pearls, you know, like men don't wear pearls. In, no. in our day, maybe back a few hundred years ago where men were very adorned with jewels and, fl and wigs and fluffy clothes and they could wear pearls, but... Not not in mainstream society much, but a lot of divers and surfers have a pearl around their neck. And I've had one, for, but I don't at the moment, but I've worn them from time to time. And of course, the Indian Mughal kings all wore them and Krishna and all his gopis all wore them. But, but, but on the whole, it, it's very dominated by men. I suppose the whole jewellery business is to some degree, even though yeah. the women who love pearls really, really get them and, and love them. Um, but... I think the pearl people, it's so hard to grow pearls. You're fighting, not fighting nature, you're working with nature, but it can be so adverse that, um, that it's not really all about the money for the, for the farmers. I think it really is, there's an obsession and a love of pearls. And I'm great friends with a man called Nick Paspali, and he, he leads the dominant family in Australia. I worked for his company. My, I got my, my dad's passport out the other day for this radio interview on Friday. He went to Darwin to visit Nick Paspali Sr. in 1964 and 67. And I was just looking at the stamps. And there's a, it's a very family business, you know, the pearls, and goes through the generations. But they, they make a quarter by money of the world's pearls. And they're very good business people. But, but Nick himself can talk for ages about a pearl. It's like a, a fascination, you know. Um, and, and there's something about pearls that are called iridescence, which is like the rainbow play of all the colors. I so wish I had some today. I'm so sorry. I haven't got them with me. I'd put them on. But, um, but there is something really magical about them in, them in themselves, you know. I've never got bored of being in the business since 
a kid at my dad's office and then a teenager in Tokyo and then working for the farmers in Australia. And every day you just see different things in pearls and new pearls and they're just really great to be around. And we're all a bit, we're obsessed, you know. They come from anywhere there's an oyster, you can get a pearl. So you can find them in rivers in America and in rivers in Scotland and you can grow them in Mexico and Indonesia, Burma, Australia, the Philippines, Tahiti, the Cook Islands, Fiji, all over the world, there's a, there's a pearl business. So with farmed pearls, obviously you have to create that irritant. Like with a natural pearl, it's just that a bit of sand gets in there and irritates the flesh. But with farm pearls, you have to create that irritant because you're not guaranteed that a bit of sand is going to get into all the oysters. How, yes. do, you do, how do you do that? Oh, so you take a, a round nucleus, which is the heel of a, an oyster called the pigtoe clam, which is from the Mississippi River. It's very um, prolific there. And, you, and so the, the farm, the, the, the nucleus makers buy all these pigtoe clams and it has a thick heel, um, the oyster. And you grind out these beads. You, you catch your oysters in, in your farm area or grow them in what's called hatcheries where you grow baby oysters to, to large sizes. And then a technician literally clamps open the oyster, which is open to feed, puts a wooden peg in while it's feeding. Um, in a bar, you take your oysters, you pop them in a basket in a tray, they open to feed, you put the clamp in, you take your oyster out of the basket and prise it open, make the cut, put the bead in, let it close immediately and put it underwater. And two years later, you open the oyster and you take the, the pearl out and then you put another bead in to make another pearl. And you can use the oysters again and again. And then you can put the oysters back in the water to, to propagate. Oysters are hermaphroditic and they have quite an interesting sex life too. <laughs> and they, they're both sexes, but they do, they do, um, they do manage to make baby oysters, <laughs> which is quite a, quite a feat in itself. Yeah. Well, tell us well, about um, that. They're, so they're lying at the bottom of the, bottom of the ocean, literally. And, and I think the female oyster opens and releases some sort of, um, well, she kind of must send some telepathic signal. I'm ready. I don't quite know how it works. And the male oyster can send sperms to fertilize her eggs. And they sort of fly across the ocean to the other, because oysters are quite solitary. They don't clump together on the ocean floor. And I've seen it on a sort of National Geographic channel, how it works. And so you see these little sort of clouds of stuff, which must be oysters, oyster yeah. sperms lapping across yeah. the water into the other oyster and that must be how the miracle of baby oysters is and then the oysters have baby spats I, I, you know, never, they're called. I've never thought about how an oyster gives birth how does an oyster give birth to another oyster do you know I did study that before but I can't tell you in real time because I, I don't want to say a lie and be be inaccurate but I I think they so, release little tiny specky little eggs and called spats and they just grow out and the shell for like the, the I guess the shell is the, the, the shell the just... shell houses the oyster, but if you ripped open the shell, it's like a it's it's like a sort of floppy piece of jelly, but it's a whole organism in, in yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. And the shells the outer shell is purely its house, like a snail. You know, exactly so like curious... a, a snail where he lives but a in snail his house. Grows, but he grows his house. I mean his he, he grows his house. It's part of uh, he doesn't find the shell and get in it though, does he? I've actually never thought about this stuff. We have to go to David Attenborough for all Yeah, sorry, and I'm um, and I'm I'm awful. I failed biology like I'm ten <laughs> ten out of ten in the class in that. But when when you say the hermaphroditic, so they can um, like a blue groper fish, they can when they're young, they can change sex. 
I don't know what determines why they want to, but they, but it's like a fault form. I'll be female today or I'll be male. So I'm, I'm totally kind of getting some aha moments about the whole consciousness of pearls. So David and I lives up the road. We go for walks often and chat away. And I was a bit worried because we chat about so much that when I interview friends, we've had so many conversations. I forget to sort of, you know, repeat that conversation yes. on the show. But um, I, we were talking about the consciousness of whales because you're whale obsessed and you said that you went to see a, He's got, he's got his whale T-shirt on today. I've got five of these T-shirts. And in, <laughs> in COVID, for some reason, all I want to do is wear whale clothes. I have no idea why. But that's well, yes, my COVID you memory. You do well, be, know why. I know why. Because I love whales. <laughs> well, it's interesting. And I want to be, be one if I can. Or I've been one. <laughs> well, you are one. Whale, I'm whale crazy. <laughs> I'll, I'll start making the whale noises or something. Look, I've always said I look like a beached whale. Most, no people, most people agree. No, uh, but we were talking about the consciousness of whales because I was watching a show with Langdon and he was interviewing some channel who was channeling the Arcturian 11th dimensional beings or something. And she was saying that the whale energy is fifth dimensional which is more group consciousness. Fourth dimensional is when we come into more unity and harmony and collaboration over competition. But fifth dimensional consciousness is more when we know ourselves as one uh, and we're, um, you know, we're experiencing life in a more group. As a, as a group. As yeah. a group. Like okay. we're, not doing, we're not doing, you know, marriage where it's about you and me, love against the world. We're sort of in this together. And as I'm thinking about the consciousness of oysters i'm thinking that they also hold that vibration of probably fifth dimensional consciousness in that they're hermaphroditic so they're not one or you know they're not polarized as one sex or the other they're both it's a more unified experience yes, yes i'm uh, with you yeah so yeah, that's interesting uh, isn't it it is interesting yeah. um it is very interesting. Yeah. And so the consciousness of a pearl would, you know, a pearl would hold that consciousness. But as we look through history and we see our kings and our queens adorned in pearls, they didn't do such a great job of actually injecting that group unified loving consciousness into history. They might have had that intent. No, but it was more about, it was, a, it was like the perpetual human struggle for power. I yeah. presume, which is a, a huge part of humanity's story, is 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 an ancient consciousness of power. And like 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 even now, when you go to see Hollywood movies like Star Wars, let's say, so there's all this intergalactic stuff. And you've had guests on your shows who regularly see people from all different dimensions, and and so for them, ETs are just an absolute matter of fact. Yeah. And people from Andromeda and all these places come and visit Earth and people see spaceships and all this stuff, but ancient Hollywood, well, not ancient, modern Hollywood, is still basically saying it's a fight of good and evil and you've got right. to zap them with special effects guns and there's a lot of, you know, and then we've won and, you know, let's make Earth great again or whatever, you know, it's always, there's, there's a huge culture here of, of just power seeking and even these people like Elizabeth I, they sent the conquistadors off and Philip of Spain in the 1500s to steal the minerals and the pearls and the gold from the new world and, um, and murder the indigenous population or make them Catholic or whatever they forced them into 
by giving them shiny objects, like they bought Manhattan for some glass bottles. Manhattan Island cost from the, because the Indian and Native Americans who lived there didn't have, or the Indians, whatever they were, they didn't, they didn't have um, consciousness around money. So they just swapped Manhattan the rights. They didn't have the rights to own land in their culture. So they just lived there. So they somehow these guys bought the Dutch bought Manhattan for, for some glass bottles and beads. Essentially, it was the best real estate purchase in history. <laughs> but, but I mean, but but there was no consciousness of that's human history for thousands of years, like the Romans and and the Industrial Revolution. It's all about the the sort of the getting of more power and then keeping it. You know, it's mm. not, it hasn't evolved much, which is why I saw a film of Ronald Reagan the other day saying on that show about. E close encounters of the fifth kind. And there's a clip of Ronald Reagan in the United Nations saying, I sometimes speculate that maybe a, a UFO landing would unite the world if we had to fight some foreign invasion. Yeah. He didn't say, oh, they could be friendly and we'll be united, you know, which people yeah. now are coming through and saying. And, and so we do, the third dimension is a pretty basic place in many ways. Like we live in these little bodies and they get sick and they, you know, if we eat too much chocolate, we'll get diabetes. And, yeah, you know, there's like so many things that can go wrong here with a with a physical third dimensional life. Whereas if you were a whale on the fifth dimension, the group consciousness, you're just sort of chugging around eating plankton, and loving life <laughs> and being, you know, being conscious. But but when people come here to spread that consciousness, they usually get killed. Like if Jesus did get killed, if he didn't retire in France <laughs> with Mary Magdalene. But whatever happened, but, but the idea <laughs> is you Gandhi got shot because it's like the duality of this place that we live in. I never really understood this stuff before, but we're in a dual system. And maybe you need goodies and baddies like cowboys and Indians in the old Westerns. And it is the, it's the nature of the game and the place here, isn't it? Well, absolutely. But what I'm thinking... I don't know what that's I'm got thinking, to do with pearls, darling. Well, as I'm thinking about history and the pearls, like this is something I haven't thought about because I'm not someone who wears jewellery. I've got masses of it, not real jewellery, like, you know, fake jewellery, like masses of pasted this and that and drawers of it upstairs. And I, I don't really wear it. I, I just don't feel the need to adorn my body, mm. you know, too much with jewellery, which a lot of women do. But as I'm thinking about you know, how history, how everyone was so adorned. Uh, you know, there was this time, there's a, there, well, there were these aliens that came to earth, if you like, or extra dimensionals, let's call them extra dimensionals, that have seeded themselves on earth to be, um, uh, to sort of hold a consciousness while we descended into density. You know, it's always been there. And, and I think that as people obsessed with jewellery or gems or, or pearls, they've had some inkling about it, but they haven't really understood why. They haven't really understood why they wanted to adorn themselves with all these jewels. And so the third dimensional consciousness is about ego and don't I look beautiful and I'm so powerful and I've got lots of money and I can buy all this stuff, but without actually going into the consciousness of the pearl or the gem itself and speaking to the consciousness of it and saying, speak to me about your world and speak to me about your consciousness. But it's always been there. It's like we've not been abandoned is what I'm saying. Even though we descended into density, there's been the whales and the pearls and the oysters and the dolphins, you know, there's been, and the gems. 
uh, it's all been there for us if we're if we were available to speak to it. And and it doesn't make the wrong like the people in the pearl business. There's a lot of people who are in it for the money and they're not particularly awake, and yeah. and and they wouldn't have a spiritual conversation. But it's only because they haven't been for whatever reason woken up. And maybe it's a valid existence to be asleep. Yes. And. Yeah just do things and be things you know and also the jewelry business i would imagine as well had huge role over the years for women when they couldn't you know like when women couldn't own property they might inherit it if their husband died and left no but but the minute their husband died the children got it all the men and women just didn't have any rights at all through history and then there were nations like um, the diaspora of the jews who've been hounded around the place for a few hundred years and so Jewelry was a way of carrying money wealth. and wealth, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, as well as adornment. I think it was kind yeah. of Im- important. Like, that's why diamonds are quite popular in, in bad times as a yeah. way of transporting money for for some degree and something that you could um, you could just wear or eat if you had to. You know, yeah. literally, if you had to get it get it out, um, you so get it out of occupied Nazi Germany or whatever, and yeah, exactly. you had to eat eat some diamonds with some bread or something literally to get away or however it was yeah when yeah people were trying to escape the nazis or you know and go back from roman times maybe jewelry or gold had some significance then so there's both you know but it's funny i often wonder why some people like i didn't ask to wake up when i was 22 i was drunk in a nightclub i met a girl she was selling flowers and she said she was an astrologer which i didn't have a clue what astrology was I was quite drunk, but she was pretty. So I asked for her phone number and she said, you don't want to be with a girl like me. And she was 10 years older than me. I was 22. And we went for dinner and she said on the phone when I rang up for the date, she said, oh, I'm a Buddhist vegetarian. I don't drink. I don't take drugs. And I often do Vipassana courses. And I had, a, I thought, I thought in my own selfish way, oh my God, what are we going to talk about? Because right? I, I was like meat and meat and whiskey, you know, with my diet and French fries. <laughs> and drugs and drink and um and we went for dinner and of course she told me her life history and I didn't have to say a word and then when I and then we said good night and when I woke up the next morning I'd woken up and so my wake up took the form of um I remember I noticed life everywhere ants and rain and sunlight and trees everything was like teeming with life which I hadn't noticed before and I knew there was a god without knowing what it was but I just knew there was something running the whole show or a consciousness in everything. And I knew I'd lived before, but I didn't. But the week before, I was in a friend in the Pearl Business's office and we were joking about reincarnation and I just killed a fly and said, oh my God, I just killed Henry VIII. <laughs> I just slapped a fly and then it died. And, I, and I, I said, oh God, I killed Henry VIII. But the following week, I had this great reverence for life. And then... And then um, I basically gave magical powers to this girl I'd had dinner with because I thought she woke me up like she was some sort of guru-y, agent-y thing. And I and went on this journey and I did whatever she said. I became vegetarian. I was doing Vipassana the following Christmas, this 10-day meditation thing when I couldn't keep quiet for three minutes. But, you know, <laughs> and, and, I, and I got into astrologers and, 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 then I, and then I had a fascination always for healers. And I became aware that, light would come out of my eyes and hands and heart and feet without me doing anything. I've never 
learned how to do anything with it. But I know if I can, if I stand on the ground and send light in and imagine it coming from upstairs, or if somebody's, I'm on a, I travel all the time when I'm not grounded like now, but I'm going to America 10 times a year. And there's always panicking passages. And I know I can just beam light to them and ask for some angels to come. And I don't know where this knowledge comes from. I've never learnt it. It just goes with being what, a human, I suppose, you know. So, so it's, quite a, it's quite a journey. But, but the majority of the people in the business world, when I talk about this stuff, like if I'm, I, I was at dinner with friends who were normal business people, and one of them, he was very closely related to Rupert Murdoch, so they're from this gigantic media family, you know, and, um, and I was talking about the possibility of there being life on other planets. And he said, could you really believe there's, you know, life on other planets. But of course, the question is, could you really believe there isn't? There's like six exactly. billion zillion planets out there. There must be something. It's not that we're the only one. We just can't perceive it. But for mainstream business friends, you know, or other friends who think when you talk about reincarnation, it's like you're mad, unless somebody in their immediate life has had a near-death experience and gone down to the tunnel and seen the light. But it's all a lot of hocus-pocus for a lot of people. And I think, in a way, having, having got the disguise of being a business person who sells, buys and sells for a living, it might be part of the job to help people because there's going to be this mass awakening now. I think everyone's been shut down and there's be a sort of conscious remembering. And it's very confusing at first. I remember I just did what I was told, gave this good, nice lady who now hates me, by the way. We see each other at Bronte Beach and she walks by and says, you're such an asshole. And I don't know what I've done. We just didn't stay together. But I don't know. I don't know what happened. She was a very gifted astrologer and a very nice woman. But we did. We we were chalk and cheese. We weren't meant to be together, you know. But let me ask you. Let me ask you. Okay. So you're 22. She's 10 years old. She wakes you up. She wakes you up just simply by having a conversation about all this stuff. Well, I'd say I've had the same experience with a few people now. But I've had right. a conversation with them, and they've woken up spiritually the next day. They just it, go. It has oh. happened. I remember, yeah. Yes, but mm. I know I'm not the waker-upper. I'm the catalytic converter. Right. So the, the, wake, the awakening comes through a conversation with David, but it's not like he woke you up. Because often they say to you, oh, you'd be my teacher and my guru. Because you would give magical powers to the waker-upper at first. Because right. it's yeah. such an extraordinary, exalted state to go into yes. awakening when you've been asleep before. Like one minute I'm killing flies and drunk. I'm wondering where the next sex is coming from, and I'm 22 <laughs> years old. And the next minute, I'm doing Vipassana, meditating for 10 days, going to India, looking for gurus, reading, reading spiritual books, studying Gandhi's autobiography, and going to light classes and healing classes. I went crystal healing and being amazed by life. You know, it's like this entire transformation, but you go a bit mad in the journey as a human being at first, because it's so... Awful, Hang on, stop touching your mic. You keep touching oh, your mic. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's all right. You just Because if, if you knock the mic, it makes this terrible noise. So, oh, yeah, go on. So one minute you're drunk and killing flies, and the next minute you're going to Vipassana. And... Or you're, you're unconscious, and you're suddenly conscious. So it's a very new world, but you don't know nothing about. Mm. And maybe, maybe part of me staying in business, where I'm used to talking to people really only about business things. We're not going to drift off and talk about near-death experiences, ETs and reincarnation ever. We're going to talk about the next deal and how yeah. bad the flight was and this real basic, boring stuff. Yeah. And maybe, but maybe if a lot of people are going to awaken, as being predicted by so many 
soothsayers and, and mediums and people, that mm. the humanity is going through a, the most massive awakening since what, like the Industrial Revolution or mm. something, or Roman times, and we're going to shift for the next so many thousands of years into we, not me, mm. then maybe people like me who've lived on both sides might be useful just even chatting about it, that yeah, it's not definitely. quite, so you're not going crazy, it's just a, an, an awakening. Yeah. And when and when and when people have awakened with me, I've just pointed them in the direction of some books and suggested basic meditation course and stuff, and just said, "Look, whatever the God is, it's awaken consciousness. It's awakening in you, and just ask it for help, and just say, what do you want me to do, and what do you want me to know?' And people will come. It's like the great thing about this planet is you come with your whole soul family, I guess. So you've got like a thousand people pretending to be the local milkman or what you know what you do you know, and, and people just show up at the right time and help like when our business was not doing great i've met a woman on a flight and she said oh will you sell pearls on tv so i thought all right we'll do that and it worked amazingly and then it was business wasn't there wasn't enough business and i was peeing i wasn't peeing yet i was standing in the queue in las vegas at the trade fair for the gents to pee and the man in front of me had a badge on saying because you all get badges at trade fairs saying CEO, Gem Shopping Network, Duluth, Georgia. And I said, oh, are you in TV shopping? And he said, yeah, I'm the boss of a network in Georgia, a jewelry network. And I said, um, do you have a pearl guy? And he said, oh, we fired him two months ago because he went on a rival channel. And I said, oh, can I audition? But if I didn't need to pee, and a friend of mine didn't know who this guy was, I might never have chatted with him. And now I've gone to Georgia 60 times in five years. Not no, 50 times in six years. The other way, 10 times a year for... For all this time and all sorts of magical experiences have happened in america i get to go to the grand canyon and sedona and i've met carolyn mason all these people that you can get to see and go to their workshops but i'm actually there meant to be selling pearls but all this side stuff happens you know so i know amazing you're, stuff. you're amazing you know for someone who's not really in the industry that i'm in because it's like it is an industry and i make this my business it is the way yes. i earn money is to awaken people i suppose or help them on their path or get them connected to their psychic abilities or you know just to do this to put conversations on the show and get people so many people have emailed me and said just watching your show has made me wake up and i i just you know that i love that and i love that they don't see me as the reason for it because i'm just some girl you know chatting having conversations with people so i'm not the guru that's woken them up because that just gives you know that just takes people's power away uh so i i love that you're just um we're like the servants of consciousness if consciousness is trying to come through we're pe people are the conduit like jesus must have been like that he must have he must have gone into some village and um and said, got a sandwich, mate, or whatever he said. And they said, no, we've got, we've got this moldy old bread. And he suddenly, you know, feeds the whole village with a miracle. <laughs> but, he, but if you could meet a bloke like him, a man like Jesus, and you were just standing there, and you were sick, and he healed you, or you, you'd get this massive awakening vibe if you were lucky enough to be around in, in those times, wouldn't you? It would be, you'd think. But he, so, although people put so much attention on Jesus as a person that maybe he is God or he is to the Christian religion. So he's a bad example. But if he was a conduit of consciousness, just by, you didn't know who he was, say you were, you were a visiting businessman from Senegal and you happened to be selling your fish off your boat in the market in Nazareth or Jerusalem or wherever. And he came by 
and, and looked at your fish, you might get this wave of energy, but you wouldn't even know who he was. Because it amazes me that all those people who went to, to the New World, they converted the Portuguese, who was a tiny little nation with great ships, they converted Brazil, one of the biggest countries on earth with the most mineral wealth, into a world full of um, Christians. But they were having a great job worshipping the sun before. But whatever, you know, whatever power that is, it's, it's, it's incredible. I don't know what this has got to do with waking up, actually. It's more to do with con <laughs> conquering the new world. Conquering the new world. Uh, yeah, Jesus. Well, I, I believe that many people hold the same consciousness that Jesus did, you know, 2,000 odd years ago, because we've moved in consciousness. And back then, you know, someone with that sort of consciousness was seen as a, a god yes. or a miracle worker or whatever. But there are many healers around the world that um, I don't know how many people can walk on water. But anyway. But do you, uh, how many life workers going do you back there are on the world do you think like there's 7.6 billion people do you think billions of people actually all, yeah. all humanity can do this kind of stuff they're just i not think at least it. about four billion so one in one in one and a half people one in more than more than one in two look i think we're all light workers because we're all you know this is where we get into polarity as third dimensional we say you are and i'm not or i am and you're not and we 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 separate we put labels on things we identify things and we create this separation but every single being on the planet is an extension of the source mm. and so every single being on the planet has access to exalted higher uh, wisdom everyone there's not a being here that does not come from this unbelievable realm of incredible infinite creative potential there are just some people that have come into density to forget that completely and some that have you know forgotten forgotten that less and some that are awake and more awake and more awake and more awake and it's just access to awareness really and, and we so, were joking about that the other day saying if you're always in the light and you're this amazing light being, it might be really, and, and you live 400 years as an average or a thousand years as an average lifetime, it might be quite exciting to just forget everything and go and be some unconscious earthling and just eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die and just yeah. live a life of debauchery like Slippery Fingers or what was he called? Billy Billy, Billy fingers, fingers, slippery you know, fingers. I'll, steal, I love I'll take some drugs. <laughs> I'll sleep with some women. I'll, you know, I'll have that like, no, I'll just die at 60 and then I'll send some messages to my sister from well, the other side. Well, that's what I loved about that story was that Billy Fingers was this sort of, uh, you know, like iffy human being, but as a soul, he was this higher consciousness that was just amazing. And um, yeah, so we, I think we were, and, and we were joking about the other thing, which was, you know, if people go for a reading and want to know about the future, from a tarot card reader or a psychic, you always want to know basically love, money, and health. So when you're younger, it's like, am I going to have some love? Yeah. And then when you're middle, you're, am I going to have some love and money? And when you're older, it's like, am I going to have okay health? <laughs> and I'll, but I'd like some love and money, but I really, my health's more important, you know? And I noticed that we're talking with my friends who are older. We talk a lot about health when they're over 65, but we never did before. We were talking about how to make more money, but now we have to go through all their health problems <laughs> and when, in the business, when it's like how are you yeah and, and and we were joking about spirit guides like everyone comes here with these guides and and we i was joking like what earth do they do because we're never listening to them much because we, we we don't don't listen much to human beings to our guides some people do i'm sure but like what do the guides do while well, they're busy we were joking what we're waiting 
for us to take their guidance? Do they meet in a bar and complain <laughs> about their humans that they work with? Like say they get a thousand humans to work, no one listens at all. And it's like, God, I was with Harry in Minnesota and he, he just won't listen. <laughs> give me, you know, give me some, I'll have a double whiskey, please. Because, you know, in this bar. <laughs> Well, maybe, they, maybe they've got millions of people they look after and somebody listens, you know. Well, luckily they live outside of time and density oh, good, yes. and yeah. polarity. So, but it is funny to think about that. Okay, going back to... Sorry, where, we where was not I? sidetracked. We were talking... Well, I don't know where we were. This conversation with you. Uh, I keep coming up with things to talk about and then we go way oh. past it. Um, right. go, coming back to... Coming back to, I don't know where I am. I have no idea where I'm trying to keep, trying to keep some linear perspective. We, we were talking about, we were talking about the business people and the awakening, and the different, you know, and waking so, up at twenty-two and then being in the business. You've stuff, told yeah. me so many stories about, you know, I'm a teacher of who's been teaching people for years about law of attraction or deliberate creation, how we create our own reality. And my guides have said to me that as humans. This is something that humanity needs to remember more than anything because it takes back your power and you don't put your power in someone else, either in the in the money or the business or the guru or the wife or the lover, you know, because you have the power to create your world and we experience our world through what, how we think and feel. So we've got the power to create how we feel and how we think and therefore how we experience this third dimensional polar, you know, polarised experience. So you've told me many stories about uh, experiencing some struggles and then coming up with, you know, like ideas, like wouldn't it be great if, and then amazing things have happened. Like when you left, you were working for the Paspali, you know, the big company. And why did you leave that company? I didn't do well in a big company. Right. I, I, I had a very exalted position. And in, in the pearling world, um, Nicholas Paspali is like, Bill Gates in the computer world or Steve right. Jobs in the telephone right. world. Right. And so if they come to you and say, look, our families know each other and we want you to work for us, it's, a, it's like the highest honor you can get in, in professional life um, if you don't have your own business that you want to be in. And I was working for his, Nicholas Paspali's opposition, which was a family called the Kalises in Perth. And I knew I'd go and work for him one day and I knew our families had known each other and, you know, when I first came to Australia, his dad took me out for dinner and was so nice to me um, in 1984. And they, was a, they were really a very special people. Um, and they make extraordinary pearls. They sell to Cartier, Tiffany, Mikimoto, Van Cleef, Harry Winston, all the best jewelers in the world um, and have their own beautiful, beautiful shops. But within his world and his organization, there was so much politics because it was a big company and they were in aviation and farming and all sorts of things. And I just couldn't do politics. And I had a boss who was very bossy, who, who smoked a lot of grass a lot of the time and was incredibly controlling and just wouldn't let me do my thing. And I'm so intuitive a doer. If you let me do something, I can do it. And I built up a big network. I'd opened offices in New York and we had one in Hong Kong and one in Sydney. And I trained the family and I knew what I was doing with my own intuition. It was working fine. But the, the, the bloke who was the actual CEO of the company, not the, not the chairman, um, was just too controlling. And I just didn't like it. And I kept thinking, I just want to do my own thing. And I was called really deeply to do it, you know. And then I had this very extraordinary thing where I needed a, a sign um, and it, to, to make sure I was making the right decision after thinking about it for a year. 
and I, the sign I asked for was, um, was to see dolphins in the ocean. And then I was walking with a, a, a German friend from the travel business, and I said, I'm, I want to see a sign of dolphins just to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And, uh, and then I went swimming in the pool. This is in Bronte Beach where there's an ocean pool next to, the, next to the ocean. And then I said to her just before, she went, she went um, off to swim in the actual real ocean and I wanted to do laps in the pool. And I said to her, you know what? I've made my decision. I don't need to see dolphins. It's okay. I can trust myself. Mm. And I got in the pool and she came running over. And when I came back from swimming a lap or two, and she said, David, David, look, there are dolphins. And I looked and they'd already gone. And she said, oh, you've just missed them. So I got exactly the sign. I want to see dolphins, but I don't need to see them, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it was a really, and it, you know, yeah. And my mum passed away at that time. It was 15, 16, 16 years ago now. Um, and when she died, I, for the first time in my life, I felt, oh, I can do anything I want now. I don't have to be responsible. But I was born with a sense of looking after both parents. So my dad was a pearl dealer and my mum was kind of like a housewife you could say and then later worked in later life but when they both died they both said to me you were our parent you looked after us this lifetime and then I came in with this huge yeah. overdeveloped sense of responsibility and caretaking so in my in my psyche the caretaker and the responsible one uh, you know it's the same with my children it's like okay. let them grow up yeah. Okay. So this, you asked me how many light workers do you think are on the world, and I said, well, maybe I don't know, four billion. So, and then I said, well, everyone's a light worker because we all come from the light. But there is different intentions. So those that are come into density to experience density. So I'm going to come in and become a drunk, alcoholic, drug addict, and womanizer, and you know, experience density and not give a rat's ass about anyone else. Like slipping fingers. That's like slippy fingers. Like that's my intention or I'm going to come into experience polarity and, uh, you know, in various ways and become a criminal or whatever. And then there are some that come here that have the intention to look after those ones. And that's what I would denote are the light workers. So they come the, in. The looker after us. The looker after us. The ones that feel that they're responsible to look after the ones that are just like, yippee, let's, let's party in density and like experience all this tragedy and everything and so the light workers hold that responsibility and they become doctors or nurses or some sort of you know they they're in some sort of business that's always got this sense of caring for others or looking after others i mean some sort of service industry it could be uh, having a restaurant feeding people or it, it could be you know being i don't know waitresses or whatever but they have that responsibility they hold that responsibility and i think that that's the difference if we're all light workers at every you know seven and a half billion people on the planet all come from the light there are those that are ex exploring and diving through density and then there are those that have come with that that sense of responsibility to look after uh, others and, um, and and maybe in the game of life you get to play all the characters and you get to be the responsible one and the irresponsible one in lifetimes definitely and, and, and it's your turn this time to be a bit more responsible yes <laughs> definitely but there are different intentions with different light workers you know some come from extra dimensional worlds
you know, other planets. And, uh, you know, they, they say they're actually asked, you know, can you come to Earth and assist in the ascension process or the shift? And so there are definitely those light weavers or light workers that know that they've come for a reason to, to assist. And that can either be to wake people up to cosmic consciousness or wake them up to their own, um, you know, God consciousness or so, yeah. So I've, felt that, I've felt that yeah. in COVID now. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've, every day that I've woken up, I've felt really useful and as if my whole life has geared up to this moment without understanding why, but that I'll be used however I will. And it's, it, it's much less about little I and more about we, like that whale consciousness we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. But I feel much more part of the we. And whether I lose my business because COVID destroys it or whether it flourishes or whether I live in a cardboard box or the White House, it, none of that matters anymore. Whereas before it was very significant through, I suppose, just through the journey between fear and love. Like fear says, that won't be enough. And love says everything's going to be okay and it already is okay. And, the, and, and it's like the human journey is, is that. He said, touching the microphone again. Um, <laughs> sorry. You know, there's people, these Not books, touching the light. You, you know, there's a book, Touching the Light, right? For light workers. And our, our interview can be called Touching the Microphone. <laughs> and giving me a headache. I need, you know, double doses of... I haven't, of I haven't heard of the book, Touching the Light. There's a lot of books out there. Uh, oh, okay. So I want you to tell that story because I, th I think it's amazing. You've told it to me quite a few times about that transition you went from, uh, obviously, you know, as we're all taught to fear and, and to think there's not enough, working for a big corporate and then setting out on your own path, like where was the money going to come from? How is that going to happen? Because this is what I speak to a lot of people that are coming out of the corporate world, whatever they're working as, and they, they know that they're here to make a difference and they want to start their own business or do something like music or... Uh, speaking and they're in this sort of like how do I support myself so your story of um, how that all magically happened tell us about I, that so I I had some money but but not very much to start the business I kind of needed more yeah. but I just felt it would be okay I had my dolphin sign and it seems crazy to make an entire life decision I had two children and a wife it, I mean it, it seemed crazy to make a decision but I, the feeling of if I stayed in the corporate pick situation, I felt I was dying and would die. But I couldn't describe it because if I said that to a normal person, like if I said it to my boss, if I stay here, I'll die. He'll just say, look, you're paid so much money. I was paid a fortune to that job. It was incredibly high paying. So it wasn't about the money. It was just the feeling of, de of death if I stayed. I was like, dead inside and not being true to myself. And I'm a great believer, you know, the Polonius in Hamlet says, this above all to thine own self be true. It's the most important piece of information because if everyone is themselves on the planet, then everything's perfect and everyone's being who they need to be for the other people to learn who they are too. And we're all learning like who we are and who we're not. And I wasn't a corporate player. So I, I just did it. I started, I, met, I, met, I'm a fr I just did a series of things that led to the next right thing. So there was a good friend of mine called Bob, and his nickname's Bob Manifest, because we've had 10 years by now when I left my job of, of talking about how you manifest things. Like, do you, do you dream them? Do you creatively visualize them? Do you ask God for them? Why, how do some people just manifest stuff? Parking spaces, strawberry ice cream in winter, whatever it is, beautiful girls, beautiful boys, whatever. Um, 
and so and he said to me oh i'm going to a seminar about about something re investing in real estate will you come I, I need to take a buddy you have to bring someone for this seminar to grow the business so i went with him and the guy said did you know you can have your own superannuation fund nowadays and i didn't know that um but that's what i got out of the thing so i rang um an accountant uh, who i knew and he said yes you can you can make your own superannuation fund and you can start a a pearl business with it or invest in things so we did it and then um i i had i had some money to, i went to hong kong to the jewelry show to buy the first pearls and um started the started the business basically by going and buying these pearls and i have these friends in england they're billionaires i met them through the business and they they've got all sorts of businesses they supply the us army with desert boots they own doritos in russia they've got restaurants and all sorts of stuff and they buy a lot of jewelry from me and the wife said to me could you buy me a fake scarf by a designer it's in the market called stanley markets in hong kong and i thought god you can afford to buy the business let alone the scarf but all right i'll do it so i got in the taxi queue outside of the trade fair convention and a fake center scarf <laughs> and to go and buy two fake scarves in yeah. the in the stanley market and there was a blonde man in front of me who i knew from london we'd known each other as teenagers our dads did business together and I said, hey, William, how are you? And where are you going? And he said, I'm going to Stanley Market. I said, you're not going to believe this. I'm going there too. He said, I'm going to meet my fiance. I said, I'm going to buy fake scarves. So we chatted along the way. And he just inherited a fortune. I don't know, 40 million pounds. He was very well off. And in the taxi, I told him what I was doing. And when we got out of the taxi at the other end, he said, I'm going to give you 100,000 Australian dollars for the business. Try not to lose it. But I'll forgive you if you do. So all of a sudden, after one taxi ride, ostensibly to buy things then i had a hundred thousand dollars i came back to australia i had dinner with a friend who's an investor who used to be a new york stock market guy and had retired back to australia where he grew up and i told him and he said you know what i'm going to give you a hundred thousand for my pension plan as well but don't lose it so suddenly suddenly like two weeks later i've got three hundred thousand dollars to pop into pearls and then my golf teacher wanted to be part of it then the accountant wanted and all of a sudden we had half a million dollars and we had a, a going business then then the the business started and did really well and then there was this huge crash lehman brothers collapsed there was the global slump in 2007 8 and at that point i met the tv shopper on the plane and they said would you do a tv show and the girls the ladies on the tv show are average age 40 to 60 own their own business and they didn't have a slump and they kept buying pearls and so the next right thing has continually happened and even in covid's now I've thought at first, we're going to lose the business and I'm going to have to do something and be a, a spiritual teacher and try and make money or do something. I don't know what I do if I'm not a pearl dealer. And suddenly the TV shopping has gone, gone really well in this COVID time. And we've, we're not going to starve to death at the moment. But I am in the, it's like the next right thing. And so if, you were, if you're thinking of leaving your corporate life and starting something, it's really hard just to say, just do it. But if you feel like you're, I think if the feeling that you're dying in your corporate world is because you are and you will die in there in, 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 on some level. And if you let your soul light go out and die, you're just hating life and what you're doing, really. You're just existing. And so you can't really ignore that voice. And the same voice that's saying, leave, 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 I think is the same voice that, that is the creative force inside that manifests 
the things needed to change. And if you come here with a soul family, like thousands of people along the way or hundreds, they're all going to pop up and be the guy in the taxi for you. But there is this element of blind faith that you do actually have to step out and leave unless you're fired from the corporate world, which often happens too, that you're, you know, you're, it's a machine, the corporate world. It's like a soulless thing that just needs profit and doesn't, it doesn't need to care about people. It's a bit like the, the fable of the scorpion and the frog. There's a flood and the scorpion's drowning and it asks the frog to carry it to the other side of the river. And it does and it saves its life. And then the scorpion stings it and the frog says, oh, I'm dying, why have you stung me? And he says, oh, it's my nature. And it's corporate nature to just use people and then get new ones. And, you know, it's just the, the and, and, but the same nature is the, is the teacher, I suppose. And so I, people have it within them, but it's a huge leap of faith to just trust your intuition. And yet it's so amazingly powerful and keeps on, and keeps on working. Well, it, it is amazingly powerful, and uh, but there's, a, there's an element that's really important, and I never counsel people to just leave, because if they don't believe that they are loved and looked after, leaving the, anything that they deem as secure is just going to make them feel more insecure, and that feeling of less security is actually going to manifest more problems, you know, like getting thrown out of I totally everywhere. agree. So, yeah. but, but with you, you know, you had that blind faith, you know, people call it blind faith, but it's that feeling, and this is something that I worked with for ages because I had so many money problems, is that I knew that my money problems was not my lack of ability to make money, but my lack of feeling worthy that I could, like this lack of um, feeling loved or feeling secure in a world that was very unsecure. Because put yourself out there as an energetic healer or spiritual teacher in a, in a world that's all corporate and money and that's bullshit and blah, 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 is a really precarious place to put yourself in. And so finding that strength of faith and knowing, like knowing that all this stuff you talk about is your truth, like really knowing that I am an extension of the source and I am unconditionally looked after and cared for and loved. And so there's nothing I have to be or do to, uh, to prove my worthiness. There's nothing that I need to do to prove that I am loved or worthy. That, that is just like knowing your worthiness and knowing that you're loved. That's the energy that you can make those leap of faiths with. You like not knowing the next step, not knowing anything and just jumping and just going, you're going to look after me and I'm excited to see how that manifests. You know, like I'm really excited to see how it comes about. Yes. I, I had a very dear friend who passed away at 97 called Lydia Duncan and um, she was a therapist all her, she studied at RADA, Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London and was an accomplished actress and was an amazing woman. She studied under Nisargadatta Maharaj Ji, who she said destroyed her, broke her ego, and then recreated her, so to speak, or helped her. Mm -hmm. And she taught voice dialogue, which is this, um, this therapy um, by Hal Stone and Sidra Winkleman from California. Hal Stone was a... Can I tell you about it for one minute? It's very interesting. Sure, or yeah, we, yeah. yeah. So Hal Stone was a Jewish, liberal, Berkeley-educated, wealthy intern in a in a hospital learning to be a psychiatrist marching against apartheid and for civil rights and all this stuff in the 60s and one day a black patient in the hospital hit hit him in the 
in the face, in the rounds, and he went into a blackout. And when he came out of it, he was on top of the patient, pummeling him and calling him names. You effing this, you effing that. And he was so shocked that inside his liberal Jewish march for peace kind of guy, there was this raging racist beater-upper yeah. that he went into deep therapy about it. And he discovered through the therapy voice dialogue, which is a form of Gestalt therapy, that you have, you're made up of so many selves and voices. There's the pusher that says, come on, exercise a bit more and do one more lap or work one more hour or edit one more radio show. <laughs> and there's the, there's the critic that says, God, you look like shit today. Get a life or whatever. Or criticize other people, or God, he's boring, or whatever. And it's constantly there, nagging away, criticizing. Yeah. Then there's the responsible parent saying to your daughter, you shouldn't go out dressed in one T-shirt in the winter, put on more clothes, <laughs> or whatever we do, you know, like don't drink and drive, all the stuff we used to do. And, and then there's the alcoholic, drug-addicted lunatic who wants to get drunk all the time. And we wrote this whole collection, like, like um, Lydia used to say to me, you're the ringmaster, but there's a whole circus going on in there. <laughs> but you're the general awareness within which all these voices are coming out. Yeah. And I think, so there's a voice in this leaving the corporate world. This is the point of the story. Yeah. There is a voice that says, I want to break free, like that Freddie Mercury song. I want, I want to break free. free. <laughs> and I want to break away from my thing. And then there's a frightened child going, we're going to starve to death if you break free. Go back to work, you idiots. So there's Michael a bunch Bunch's. of... Oh, <laughs> sorry. sorry. I, I said... I said there's a frightened child inside who's saying, you're not leaving your secure job and your secure world, you asshole. Get back to work and make more money and make me feel safe. So yeah. you're And the child very often is running the adult show. It's like the adaptive child or whatever that doesn't want to feel the pain of childhood. So it's pushing the adult to do certain things, stay in a job longer than you want. And then there's the voice of the intuitive God inside. And in one voice dialogue session, I, I, I was the child and I hid behind the sofa in the session and said, I'm not coming out and I'm not going to talk and I'd rather be dead. I never wanted to come here and I wish I'd committed suicide because I, had the, I was born with the cord around my neck. And I said in the voice dialogue session, he should have left the cord there. He shouldn't have come here. This place is so difficult. It's horrible. And then there was this God character saying, I am your father and I will take care of you. And it was the only time in my life it felt what it would be like to be God. It was like this really strong, powerful, safe, fatherly, energy. motherly energy. It was only yeah. three seconds, but it was very strong. And it made me so realize we're all these things. And so the one who wants to leave corporate life might not be the one who wants you to leave, but it's, within, it's all within you. And I think on some level, the, the intuitive, spiritual, eternal voice of our soul gets through sometimes, but not often, because competing with so much fear. Like FOMO, my big fear is fear of missing out, FOMO. And so if I'm attending Carolyn Miss's workshop in Chicago, what if Paul Selig's workshop in New York is better? Or whatever. <laughs> you, there's all, I've had that my whole life. And then you're not really where you are now, because it's more interesting over there. It was more in nightclubs, where the when I was in the 80s and I thought, oh, the other nightclub is where all the action is. It's a bit boring here. <laughs> it isn't, I'm much more better at being here now where I am. And that's where the consciousness well, is. But, but FOMO is a thing, is a, is a, you know, like fear is, fear is what runs us so much of our lives as human beings. And the whole journey seems to be trying to be less fearful and more loving, but it's a really slow journey. Like from the head to the heart, 
is a lifetime, but it's only 10 inches if you measure it or 20 inches or whatever that is in centimeters. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, as I'm listening to you talk about all these voices and all these personalities and aspects of us all competing with each other, the scared child and the, the pusher and the you know, microphone Paul, rattler, the microphone rattler, what Paul's guides would say, what my guides would say, but, you know, using Paul's vernacular or their vernacular is that once you reach the upper room, the upper octave, he said that this experience, or they say that this experience is just a resonance of frequency. It's an octave. If you think about everything as vibration, it's just vibrating in a, in a specific frequency. And if you raise your vibration into a different frequency, into a higher frequency or a, or a more uh, connected frequencies, which is what we're doing or on a collective level, it's called the enlightenment or shift or whatever, and you reach the upper room, there's no fear in the upper room. And so all those voices, all those characters competing with each other, just see that just, they just uh, cease to be you. You cease to be identified with them and you can enjoy them like your characters in a play and love them, but you're not identified with any of them and, and none of their voices uh, direct your experience because there is a greater voice or a higher voice or your higher self which directs your experience and that voice is rooted in love and 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 inside love is this feeling of unconditional security and everything will be all right and all is well and this is fun and isn't it beautiful and isn't it interesting and how fascinating and like wow this is such a great experience even when you're you know there are a few people on the planet, as I talked about before, we talk about Jesus, there are a few people on the planet that have that consciousness. And, and uh, Byron Katie is one of them. So she's had the experience of getting cancer and going blind and, and all these terrible things have happened to her since she's had her awakening, which was about 30 years ago. And in all those experiences, she said, wow, I've never been blind before. This is going to be fun. Or gee, I've never had cancer before. This will be a real experience. I wonder what this is going to unfold, how this is going to unfold. And so with everything that we experience, you can experience it with joy. And that's what it is to live in that upper room that Paul is, you know, teaching or Caroline Mace is teaching or I'm teaching or you're teaching or we're, we're all teaching that like return to the perspective of the upper room as Paul calls it. So, mm. yeah, yeah. And, and it is that journey of living it. What Paul was saying when I, because he's, he's all on my consciousness because I had a conversation with him the other day. He was saying that the next book, is about how we live as humans rooted in third dimensional consciousness in polarity and fear and love and, and war, you know, the fight of the good and the right and the, the right and the wrong and the good and the evil, how we live as humans operating in the upper room in this environment. And I think that that's probably much of the conversations we have on the show and, and I have with my clients and definitely with the people in the inner sanctum you know, how we actually manage to live that perspective as we experience this polarized, contrasting third dimensional experience. And as more people start to really live that perspective, then the whole consciousness raises into that experience, which I think is where ETs live, a lot of them, not all of them. You know, they live in that unified experience in the upper yes. room. And so they still have physical lives and do things and and as Kevin said, you know, Kevin Briggs, he said that he knows his Orton D are married and they have children and families and, yes, you know, there's yes. still all that experience, but they just experience it with a completely different consciousness. Yeah. And, yes. yeah so. I liked, I liked it when um, 
Kevin was talking about, he's got a friend who was like a maintenance man and a pilot on a spaceship. And he just looked up and waved at him when he was tinkering with his, with his spaceship. <laughs> spaceship yeah. yeah. And maybe on that stage, they go shopping for new suits and stuff. <laughs> With, with, their wife and, with their wife and children. <laughs> well, there are some things that happen as you evolve in consciousness which become uh, not necessary and clothing is one of them I'm and sure, food yeah. is one of them, not in every yes. experience because there's more experiences, an infinite amount of things that we can experience and combinations of experience and frequencies that we can play with. It's like an infinite amount, but there are some, definitely some extra dimensionals or terrestrials which have evolved beyond needing to eat uh, or clothe themselves because they wear this, I don't know, grey suit that's just, it's, it's hard enough to combat any weather condition. They don't need to protect themselves against hot and cold. And yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's amazing, really. But, but living in the upper room is the job, isn't it, in a way? Yeah. It's like making this constant choice to, be, to do the loving thing and to not give in to fear quite so much. Yes. As, a, as a, just a normal third dimensional person. And then as we grow older and the more work we do on ourselves, it does seem inevitable to be more loving and a bit more in that, in that upper room. In that and, upper just, room. And, and I've noticed within myself, it's taken to my 50s, but to be able to sit with people, and there's this phrase, hold the space, but just not have to change them, but let them talk about their third dimensional pains and sufferings without having to fix them, just see they're going through something and just sit there and send them some love without having to say, do this, be that, I'm doing this for you. It's a, yeah, it's a nicer way of being, which is much more allowing, but it sure has taken a long time. It sure has taken a long time. Well, yes. No, but we've you... got lots of time, haven't we? Sorry. We've got lots of time. There's no, there's, um, yes. yeah, there's lots of time. We've got eternity to get it right. There's no hurry, yes. you know. Uh, and, and Paul was saying that, you know, the, the guides say that, when you live in the upper room, there's no need for personal growth courses. So there's no need to sort. Now, what was that course that you said Lydia was telling you about? Um, oh, dialogue. No, she, dialogue. She, she taught voice. No, she did therapy through voice dialogue. Voice so dialogue. You'd go, to her, you'd go to her with a specific problem. Yeah. And then so whoever wanted to sit in the chair and talk about it would talk. And then the other person within you would talk. And you'd, and, and you'd, but you, you realized what was going on as your general awareness, you know. And I've done another therapy that's amazing called, um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. A golly, that's so silly. But, me, but, but what I was trying to say was that when you're in the upper room, there's no need for any of that because you know yourself as unconditional love and you know yourself as the witnesser of all that and not the identity of all that. So voice dialogue and personal growth and much of our healing courses is very much about understanding why we think you know like psychology and and um uh, all that sort of stuff is all about understanding it and but when you're in the upper room you just have this instant awareness like you just see life through a completely yes. different perspective and all that attachment to your drama just melts away so and he was saying uh, when i was talking to him the other day you know there's they're not saying there's anything wrong with personal growth or voice dialogue or any of those he said if you want to experience that you know they're as delicious as anything else you experience here but once you enter the upper room and live from there it's not necessary because there is no, no fear in the upper room yeah I, I i get that conceptually but for the people the millions of people who are going to be waking up 
I find that people like you and me, we can talk about things so matter-of-factly because we've known each other 20, 25 years. But for new people who are just waking up now, it's so higgledy-piggledy that maybe you need that kind of old, it's not old-fashioned, but that, that mode of discovering who you are. Well, absolutely. Because yeah. you don't just go click, I'm, I'm, you don't. I'm Jesus. Well, but, you don't. Well, but, but some can. You know, everyone wakes but, up at yes. a different level. Like um, I was speaking to Michael Tamora, who is another great teacher I've had on the show, and I meant to have a conversation with him on the last show and explore this further with him because he said there's different levels where you awaken. And, and I think the majority of people that are awakening right now are awakening to someone sent me an email saying, you and your guests seem to talk about this COVID thing like it was an conspiracy theory. And then she said... By whom and for what purpose? And those two questions I found very powerful. If you are completely asleep to what's happening in our world and then you start to wake up to the fact that all is not, you know, we're not living in wonderland, <laughs> all is not as we think it to be, you start to wake up to the corruption and the control. And she said, by whom and to what purpose? And then those two questions have so many answers. People go, oh, the reptilians are controlling us and the evil cabal. And, you know, there's so many stories about that whom and for what purpose. But I think that a lot of people are waking up to that at the moment, that all is not as it seems. Like, and there is some sort of control. And then they're asking by whom and for what purpose. And I think they're great And the questions. veil is breaking away. It seems yeah. like duality. It's, it's not like if whole countries are not doing lockdown like Sweden, let's say, yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the Italian parliament the other day wants to arrest Bill Gates <laughs> saying he's for crimes against humanity. And if people are saying, like, why? Like, what's he done? You know, or, or, or why has Sweden got away with it? Or why has Thailand got 44 cases and 100, 100 deaths and Thailand 44, but there's going to be 2 million unemployed? Like, what is going on? It is, yes. it is the big issue of, of a thousand years to make people actually question what, what on earth is really going on well, on this planet. That's the mass awakening, is the questioning. Like, like people are starting to question as they stop drinking the rhetoric from the mainstream media every second they're starting to ask questions and so there are many different levels of awakening some will just open up to the questions like mm. i'm actually going to start questioning my reality and some will just go straight from asleep to the upper room and everyone in between and yes, then some yes. will do personal growth courses and some will do crystal courses and some will learn to meditate and some will connect to their galactic guides and some will start channeling you know it's as varied as humanity is and um we can't say that the awakening is any one set thing it's it's this vast array of um, of experience uh, yes yes but on mass what i'm seeing as people are just sending me video upon video i'm just loving it i'm just drinking it all in as i'm watching people say you know rebel against the lockdowns and rebel against their government and and they're starting to sort of scratch their head and go now something's going on here this doesn't smell right you know my perfect mm. life doesn't look right anymore so it's so fascinating because just uh, my guys just say, watch, just watch and just keep wait. watching. Keep yes. watching. It's a great show. Mm -hmm. Earth 2020. It really is. Yeah. Mm. I saw this great um, documentary about Muhammad Ali and how he fought for um, civil rights and black rights in America. And he refused to go to Vietnam to kill people he didn't know when his battle was at home where they didn't have the vote and they were segregated and all his people. 
and much later he was asked to give the commencement address at Harvard University and he gave a good speech and at the end they asked him for a poem because he was famous for his Muhammad Ali poems and he went like this he went me we that was his poem and it turned out to get in the Guinness Book of Records as the shortest poem <laughs> ever because the one before was Bulls Adam Haddam that was the shortest poem in the world but me we was the one and me we is what's going on now like little yes. me and i and with my little fears and yeah. big we, the we being part of the we is so much more exciting you know and yeah. and and the logical conscious choice but like what's what's good for everybody yeah yeah, yeah. look what i've uh, discussed with many people you know what's going on no matter how you're framing it and whether you're seeing it as being controlled or the evil cabal or, you know, Bill Gates trying to microchip everybody. And no matter what story you've come in up with, with, you know, the, like the evil that's going on, it is a unifying experience because it's happening globally. And with every story that we have about what's going on, I think the most important story is the we, is that it, it, it is a unifying experience because there is not one country in the world that is not experiencing the same type of uh, constraints or lockdowns or fears. Or, and so in our fear and our constraints, we are unified as a humanity like we've never been before. And that you've just got to love that. I, I love Neil Donald Walsh's book, Conversations with God. And in oh, the yeah. book three, he wrote, There is Only One of Us. That was one of the things that came through. And so all the goodies and the baddies in the giant play, you know, what the Indians call Leela, the Hindus call Leela, yeah. the cosmic play, that they're, they're all, there's only one of us. Like we're all one from one place and one thing. There aren't two places. Yeah. Even in those movies like Star Wars, Darth Vader turns out to be Luke Skywalker's daddy. Yeah. And, and, the, and there's the, I don't know. There's a, or if you if you had to be Judas Iscariot, so your job was to betray Judas, Jesus, Jesus, and get some silver and then commit suicide. When they met afterwards in the afterlife, maybe Jesus said, "Good job, mate. You know, yeah. you, you played had a good life well. as Judas." Mm -hmm. But throughout history, number thirteen's unlucky, and Fridays are bad, and you can't go to sea on a Friday, and God forbid you go to sea on Friday the thirteenth. And if somebody's a Judas, they're a betrayer. But if he didn't do it. Jesus might not have got to be crucified and the whole thing wouldn't work. So, <laughs> and the thieves, you know, there were two thieves who gets crucified next to you. So if they hadn't stolen some meat and turkey and vegetables or whatever they stole to get crucified, they wouldn't be up there. And then the story doesn't work in a way, but every, everybody's really vital. And you, and if, and if, and if, I don't know, if Judas isn't being a bit naughty, Jesus can't be Jesus. So we need, and if Darth Vader doesn't give birth to Luke Skywalker, he can't be in the light. So you need, we need the lot, don't we, in this game to realize who we are and who we're not. Oh, so Lydia, the, Lydia the, 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 the 97 year old lady took acid with Timothy Leary and said, asked the question, is there on the trip, is there a God and why are we here? And the answer was, of course there is. And you're here to experience everything you are and everything you're not. Good stuff, eh? Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. I think we might end it there. Look, we could keep going. <laughs> but yes, is there a God? Of course there is. And you're here to experience everything you are and everything you're not. Perfect. Karen, it's been so lovely to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, uh, I'm touching my mic, but I'm very, very 
honoured and thrilled. Thanks, you. Thanks for being on the show. And David's joined our inner sanctum. Uh, if you want to join our inner sanctum, I'd love you to too. He's he's getting a lot out of meeting all the people I've had on the Fantastic. show. And even though you've got all this beautiful wisdom and uh, inside you, it's still lovely to sort of see how That's other beautiful. people. Yeah. yeah, I love it. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Well, don't you love David? He's got so many stories to share. We didn't even share, I don't know, a tenth of them. Anyway, it was a small percentage. There was so much more we could say, but he had to go because he's a businessman. He has lots of business happening. And it's here. It's uh, mid-morning here in Sydney, Australia. So he took the morning off to chat with us for the show, which is beautiful. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> um, you learned a bit more about the world of pearls and all sorts of things. A wealth of information is our David. Uh, it's interesting, even though he hasn't put himself out there as a teacher or he's always sort of played with that idea, I don't think it was his um, mandate or his job to be out there with the shingle on saying, you know, I'm here to sort of awaken your spiritual. I think that his work is inside this, you know, business world where people are all caught up with what's in it for me and how much can I sell and money, 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 money to just be that light. And even though he's like any businessman, he's into, you know, making money and making business work as you do, there's kind of more going on than just making money, isn't there? And there's much more going on. And uh, he seems to know a lot of people that are our amazing teachers like Caroline Miss and Lee Harris and Mike Dooley they all seem to be his friends and I don't know how he meets these people just like attracts like your vibe attracts your tribe so it's interesting the work that we do in this world spreading the light or looking after people we can do in all walks of life it doesn't really matter it's as long as you uh, shine that light and, and be that joy I've known him for a long time as I said and I've seen him go through his ups and downs and uh his divorce and dramas, but through all of it, he, he maintains this really joyous energy. Uh, and people just love being around him because he, is, he just holds this joy, this joyous energy, even when he's in his confusion and, and his upset and, you know, and going through his dramas, uh, he still maintains a sense of humor about it all and, 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 and joy. And for the most part, he's been sort of like 80%, 90% you know, love and joy and spreading light. So uh, beautiful, beautiful to see somebody like that. The cat's come to say hello. Hello. <laughs> this cat just jumps on me all the time when I do this. Tries, I always have a glass of water next to me and tries to drink my water, even though he's got his own bowl of water. Well, he wants my water. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so, uh, what else do I want to say to you? Remember to subscribe and like if you like the shows, if you've stayed for this long. And, uh, and to share the shows with people. Uh, I said in one of the sh uh, talks I did that because I've turned off the monetary part of it, I'm not making money from the ads. I just hate that. When I say hate, I just, you know, that whole advertising thing, selling us stuff, yeah, com com being interrupted all the time. I, look, I'm, I'm not somebody that watches mainstream media or, or, or television anymore, so I'm not used to these ads. And, and all these platforms like YouTube and Facebook and, and Twitter and all these platforms that have become these big mega platforms are just introducing more and more ads uh, in the middle of a Facebook video. There will be just when you're sort of really getting into it, bang, an ad will come. And Facebook never used to do that. And I think, oh, my God, this advertising world. If people only knew that your vibe attracts your tribe and so... 
yes, it's good to get have exposure to what you do and what you offer the world, but do you have to do it in the middle of somebody's video? Anyway, so I'm not into that. So I've turned all that off and I thought that the algorithms wouldn't let my shows be seen. But people have been emailing me saying, yeah, you still show up in the feeds and I don't show up as much as I used to, but I still show up. But the best way to get the message out is for you to share the shows with your friends and on your social media platforms. And that's how we get to spread this message. Spread the love, spread the love. So I hope you're still all enjoying the COVID times and my guides had lots to say to you and I'm sitting here and I can't think of what it is. So I'll have to go and have a cup of tea and maybe make another video because uh, they were like on me again. Get on there and talk about this. And I'm very reluctant. I go, oh, do I have to? I, I much rather have conversations with people because it's so much fun, you know, to have these conversations back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> David does like to talk, doesn't he? but he's fascinating he's fascinating before I could get a word out he's gone on to the next thing I'm like right that was a question I was going to ask him that's like next what else anyway he's fabulous so couple who's coming up to in the inner sanctum I don't know let me have a look well we've got lots of angels coming up Belinda Womack is the the 12 archangels She's beautiful. I love Belinda. She's beautiful. She's coming in as a guest teacher into the Inner Sanctum so we can meet her and quiz her about the angelic realm. There's quite a few angel people coming up, funnily enough. There's another woman who called Athena. Now what's her name? Athera? What's her name? Coming on the show. Athera? Anyway, she's another angel woman, speaks with the angels. And Danielle Gibbons is coming back on the show who channels Mother Mary. And uh, Tina Louise Spaulding and I were having a chat about her coming on the show. I don't know if we've actually pinned down a date for her. She channels, you know, the Christ consciousness or Jesus, she calls Jesus, and many other people. And um, yes, who else is coming into the inner sanctum? Rob, Robert Schwartz. Ah, Robert Schwartz is going to come in. Oh, I loved my conversation with Robert last year about how we choose, you know, the agreements we make before we come. Soul contracts, I think he calls it, soul contracts, how we choose a lot of the dramas that we go through. And uh, even though he's not a psychic or an, um, a channel, you know, he's a researcher. I don't normally put researchers on the show because it's all other people's stories i like people to have their own access to their own guidance and with everyone i speak to every single person i'm not listening to them because it's a good story or it sounds good i always ask my mob what do you think of that who are these people tell me more like i've got that inner guidance that guides me with people uh, there has been the odd time where i've got I've listened to people's fast talking and I've got swept up in people's, you know, intellect and fast talk and they've said that they're psychics or mediums and, and when I've really looked into them, I've found that they're actually all in their head and they're not really doing what they said they've done. But that's rare because I usually ask my guides. And uh, But Robert is actually very divinely guided and I, he just doesn't talk about it or doesn't understand that he is. But he's very intuitive. He, even in his um, in the conversation I had with him, he said he was guided to go and see a psychic who, who started talking about, you know, these soul contracts and that what he had been through in his traumatic childhood he had actually planned before he got here. And it was the first psychic he'd ever seen and he picked a good one. And so he was, you know, he was led. He was listening to his intuition or his impulses. He, uh, so, yeah, he, he's a wealth of information. And who else is coming up? Oh, look, the, if you go on the page, Karen Swaim, 
facebook.com slash inner sanctum you'll see the schedule of the guests coming up in the inner sanctum but i'm inviting more people i think i'm going to have another chat with uh jaylene who channels the mantid and she's a micro talks about the microbiome because of what we're going through with the viruses and there's a fabulous doctor out there if you're my facebook friend called dr zach bush who is the first medical mp triple certified medical i've ever seen that talks about the ecosystem of this world the microbiome of the planet and our bodies and the consciousness and medical science and marries all of it like there's plenty of people talking about channeling and talking about the vibrational frequency and plenty of people talking about the science the hard science and kind of people marrying a bit of um you know diet and and stress release and meditation and but there's never i've never seen a doctor that really has the whole story there's a beautiful uh he's done a few shows i think he's really busy i'll try and get him on the show I haven't reached out to him, but um, yeah, he's out there. Look for him, Dr. Zach Bush, his name is. He looks young, but he's in his like late 40s, I think, but he looks like he's in his 20s. <laughs> anyway, uh, he's got some answers to what we're going through, especially with you know how that he predicted that the virus and his story is that's because of the imbalance in our world, which is what my guides keep saying. They keep talking about, it's about balance, it's about balance, and I went to do a, talk about this the other day and I sat there and I'm like what do I want to say about balance and then I was listening to him how we've we've ripped our soils of the microbiome in the soils and so a lot of the foods we're eating don't have the frequency or hold the nutrients that they should because of the way we plant and and uh, we're not working with the consciousness of these beings these these bacteria and viruses in the trillions like our bodies and this planet is just a team of these this microbiome this this these consciousnesses and we're not working with them uh, and we're seeing them as the enemy for the most part and sanitizing our hands and and you know putting masks on and anyway there's a bigger story to what's going on in the world uh, and what health is all about and dr zach bush has uh, some answers so if you want to listen to him go find him on youtube he's all over youtube and thanks again for watching and i love you all and remember get that book awakened by death big love bye for now